0: Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, We're hidden among the ages gone by, the light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again. Today is episode number 11, and we're really pleased to have Brother Robert Marshall back on the show from Waco Lodge with some really cool stories to share with us. Now, today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out before, do so today, right after the show at MasonicRevival.com. You'll find some awesome quality bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, and so much more. And write this down if you use our promo code, which is all caps, one word, HLIGHT, I say it again, HLIGHT, you will get free shipping on your entire order. So there's really no excuse. The quality of the products are amazing. You're going to love them. So definitely go pick up some today and spruce up for your next lodge meeting or event. Now, our show is also brought to you in part by viewers like you. Yes, you yourself can support Historical Light and keep the lights on around here. So if you like what we're doing and want to see it continued, uh, you can go to our site today, click on the Support Us tab, and you can safely and securely support the show through the means of PayPal. So we'd appreciate if you consider that. You can also buy one of our products. We have lapel pins with the show's logo and shirts available on the website as well. Just go over to the Shop section and you can get one of those today. Now, as we always do, we'll start our show off by checking in with our friends over at masonrytoday.com and find out what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, Nathaniel Green passes away in 1786. Green was a member of the Continental Army during the American Revolutionary War. He was born August 7th, 1742 in Potowomit, a township in Warwick, Rhode Island. Green was born a Quaker, and in that sect, literary accomplishments were discouraged. However, Green uh, educated himself, studying mathematics and law. In 1770, Green moved to Coventry, Rhode Island to take over the family foundry. There he pushed for the establishment of a public school. It's also believed that over the next few years, Green was chosen as a member of the Rhode Island General Assembly. This fact is, however, questioned since his personal papers make no mention of it, and there were several other individuals in the state who shared his same name. Despite being a Quaker, Green in 1774 formed a local militia. He was also self-educated in military strategies. By the end of the war, he was considered to be on equal ground with Washington in regards to his prowess. His military abilities also caught the attention of the Quaker sect he was a member of who actually expelled him for going against their Pacific ways. Green was not unique in this manner as many Quakers who served during the American Revolution dealt with the conflict of fighting for a cause and their religious beliefs. In the early part of the American Revolution, Green was in the northern colonies. Shortly before Valley Forge, General Washington appointed Green as the quartermaster general. Later Washington would praise Green for his efforts to help keep the Continental Army fed and clothed during the harsh winter. Despite having General Washington's full confidence, Green was with odds for the uh, Continental Congress who insisted on using the already failed plan of having the states provide supplies as needed. With no real federal government in place, the states would not answer to the calls of the Continental Army. In 1780, Green was appointed by Washington to head the armies from Delaware to Georgia. This effectively put Green in position as the second in command of the entire Continental Army. Green was one of only four generals who served during the entire American Revolution. Green retired to his estate in Georgia, a land grant given by Georgia for his efforts during the war. There he passed away on June 19, 1786. Green's Masonic affiliation is not quite known. Some believe that he was a member of a Rhode Island lodge, and others believe that it is a military lodge he was a member of. Regardless, he had very strong ties to the fraternity. Uh, he was friends with the uh, Marquise de Lafayette, who presented Green with a Masonic medal which Green wore throughout the American Revolution. In 1825, Lafayette and the Grand Lodge of Georgia worked together to lay a cornerstone for a monument to green. Alright, well thank you to our friends over at masonertoday.com for another great article. Definitely check them out at their website and on social media as well so you can subscribe and keep up with them on a daily basis as they put out this wonderful material on Masonic history. Now, before we switch over um, into our interview for tonight, I do want to acknowledge a really cool event that we just had at my lodge, Gardner Lodge Number 65, just this past Thursday. We did our uh, annual pin presentation ceremony. For those of you that don't know, it's a ceremony where we celebrate brothers who have been in the craft for 25 or more years. Um, this one was really special for many reasons. and I'm gonna touch on a few of those. Uh, for one, it was just a really good turnout. Um, we had, I think it was 16 brothers up for the award this year. You know, obviously some of those brothers don't live within the state. Um, some just, you know, aren't up for the traveling. But out of those 16, we had, I wanna say nine of them show up, which was a really good turnout. Um, for your total number there the event was really well attended but also really well attended by grand lodge which was awesome usually we get a couple of them there but we had probably eight or nine grand lodge officers show up as well which was huge for the recipients you know it's great to see them there but as a recipient to see that kind of magnitude because it's not just a meeting this whole event is based around showing support to them and their accomplishments within the craft so to have that kind of presence come out from Grand Lodge, which included even a past grandmaster who came out um, to show support to them and their accomplishments within Freemasonry was was just huge. So we really, really appreciated that. But as we're kind of transitioning from the dinner phase into the ceremony, um, one of my brothers comes over and says, hey, we got a guy downstairs, one of the recipients, who's actually not able to make it into the building. He just wants to know if, you know, a couple of us will come out and say hi before he you know, has to take off. Um, so, we go down and check it out because we have a stair lift and everything, so we 're you know pretty confident we can get him in um, but it was it was brother Ken Mitchell and uh, he actually lives in a retirement home and he is in a a wheelchair to the point that it really wasn 't safe or practical to get him transported to the chair lift and up it just wasn 't a smart idea um, to you know get him into the building like that so just coming out and saying hi and sending him on his way wasn't good enough either. Because like I said, this event's not about us. It's not about you meeting our ways or you know getting into the building to get your your pen. It's about you, um, you as the recipient. So instead of just saying hi, we got everyone down there and we did a personal presentation full out, right curbside on the sidewalk, downtown Gardner. We had all of our lodge members out there. We had all the Grand Lodge officers out there, and uh, this guy, Brother Ken Mitchell, he was uh, he was smiles from ear to ear, which was really cool to see. Uh, you could tell he just enjoyed every second of it. Uh, we got some great uh, photographs with him. Uh, one of the Grand Lodge ladies was down there uh, taking taking photographs, we really appreciate that. I uh, got some great shots of uh, him and the uh, Gardner Lodge guys, plus the Grand Lodge officers, and it just really made for a memorable experience in that manner so uh really glad that uh brother kim mitchell was able to make it and that we could uh do that special presentation for him and congratulations for your accomplishment in masonry brother uh you've done so much they they listed off all the offices he's held out throughout the years uh and it was it was really just kind of took me back to to be a part of that and to celebrate that moment with him was really special um so then you know we get back upstairs and another cool thing about that day it was it was my daughter's birthday. She turned eight years old, so we had, we had planned to uh, sing happy birthday to her during the dinner portion. But as we got called downstairs, all that kind of got um, thrown for a loop, and you know, kind of got put by the wayside, which is totally fine. You know, it's not about her. But um, starting into the ceremony, I totally forgot about it. My father-in-law Angelo Mino, uh, he's a great grandfather. And he kind of threw us all for a loop. We didn't know where he was going this, uh, but he stood up and made an announcement. And I'm not going to tell it all to you because we actually got it on video. So let let me just throw the video clip in here because it was a really cool moment uh, for my daughter. I I know she looked terrified like she was going to puke at the moment, but uh, afterwards, you know, she talked about it nonstop. It just, it meant the world to her and it added another level of uh, coolness and, you know, connection to the event itself. So let's Jump over and check out that clip of just what happened at our ceremony there. Can I have, uh, can I have everybody attention, please? I'm looking for, I believe it is Mrs. or Miss ashley Powers. So, Marcus, power? Powers here. Can you stand up please? Uh, we're looking for you. Brother and sister, my granddaughter's birthday is today. Happy to Happy birthday to you. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday dear Ashley. Happy birthday all right well there you have it uh, that was the surprise opening to our uh, Thursday night ceremony for the pen presentation uh, brother Angelo Mino. he's a uh, like I said a great-grandfather and uh, really knows how to switch it up and keep it interesting but no my, my daughter uh, she was really ecstatic that that happened I you know she was nervous at the time she's shy so doesn't like to get put in the spotlight like that but she has a, a special spot in her heart for masonry um you know she's grown up around it she sees her grandfather uh you know obviously i'm a freemason and she just she really has a lot of respect for it um she just thinks it's the coolest thing ever and you know she's honestly the one when we're driving around she'll spot the emblems and the license plates and stuff before i do you know daddy daddy there, there's a mason over there that's one of your brothers and it's it's really cool and you know she she has that connection where she really respects freemasons and she sees them as very important um, so to be in a room surrounded by masons their wives and grand lodge officers even and for them all to sing happy birthday to her it was really a cool moment for my daughter and i'm I'm glad she got to experience that um you know as her father um, within that i, I want to wish all of you a happy father's day as yesterday was father's day so to all of you out there that are fathers Happy Father's Day, congratulations. It's a very special thing. Um, So from that, we'll go ahead and move into our interview tonight. Like I said, we have brother Robert Marshall back on the show from Waco Lodge, and he's got some really interesting stories about some past members of his lodge and some stories behind him. So we'll go ahead and jump over now to our interview for this evening. I hope you enjoy. everybody welcome back to historical Lad. extremely glad to have brother Marshall back on the show today for the second time now as we all know going through the history of our lodges especially those with us with uh, older lodges there's a lot of predominant members that have roots within our community lodge and gardener um you know the first doctor first mayor all those important figures were members of our lodge and brother marshall's lodge is no exception that he's got some great stories to share with us today um, so, Brother Robert, before we get into it, for those that haven't met you before, haven't seen the past episode, let's jump in and have you further introduce yourself and kind of retell everybody about you and introduce those that haven't met you before.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Robert Marshall. I'm a past master of Waco Lodge 92 in Central Texas, and i uh, second degree mason, Scottish Rite and York right. You know, we can go both directions these days. Uh, I have worked as a history teacher, construction worker, uh, personal trainer, uh, and as a historian. Every once in a while, I'll get lucky enough. Somebody will uh, write me a check to do some family research for them. Uh, And now I'm also doing uh, research and guided tours for Longhorn Cavern, a big old cave down here in Texas. Uh, My background in history comes from studying at Baylor University in central Texas. And uh, yeah, that's me.
0: Wonderful. And again, for those that don't know, what is it that brought you into Freemasonry in the first place? What is it that really uh, sunk that hook in for you?
1: There were two big things from my childhood. The first was being close to my great grandfather, who was uh, a Freemason and Shriner, uh, and told me some interesting stories about Masons when I was growing up. Uh, The second was my oldest brother when he was 13. he was hit during a football game and uh, uh, went down, the coach made him get up, walk it off, you know, and uh, play the game. It turned out he had broken a piece of his hip off and uh, doctors told him my family that he would never walk again, uh, which would be a devastating thing for any 12 or 13 year old. Uh, But my great grandfather told my dad to take him to the Scottish Rite Hospital uh, which uh, was very, at the time we did not have a whole lot of resources so we wouldn't have been able to afford any kind of major care anyway. Uh, my dad did take him to the Scottish Rite Hospital and they were so successful in treating a boy who was supposed to never walk again that he wound up uh, doing bodybuilding and powerlifting and cage fighting and uh, even uh, uh, working in construction like he still does now. So. And uh, they more than fixed him, if you will, so those were my two major influences
0: that 's wonderful it It sounds like a positive influences from both aspects there and i'm extremely glad to hear that they were able to help your brother in that scenario now, jumping into Freemasonry um, you 've mentioned before you know your family history there. do you know how far back that goes, or what is your family connections going back into Freemasonry?
1: Uh, I have some early family connections back in the, uh, late 1700s, uh, post-revolution era, some links were there. Uh, the clearest one I can tell you for sure was that same great grandfather's brother who, uh, was a past master of a lodge in North Carolina. and uh, so, and the fun thing there is I was able to reach out to those guys just a couple years ago. They had, uh, um, uh, my great great uncle's last name spelled wrong on their uh, website. So I was able to send that to them, but also give them some photos and stuff uh, related to him. So that would be my major family connection.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you're able to spot that error and get that history corrected because it only gets worse going down through times. So it's always great to uh, <laughs> correct that as soon as we can. And so. Very true. Exactly. So we have a uh, connections with you through uh regular lodge masonry there. Do you have any affiliate body connections through your family history?
1: Affiliate body connections, you mean uh, such as Scottish Rite and stuff?
0: Well, even on the uh youth or female side, Eastern Star, uh Rainbow um, Jobs, all that good stuff.
1: My great-grandmother, was pretty close to her, she was actually very active uh Eastern Star. She was also president of the Army's uh, wives club in Germany during uh World War II, but uh, she was active Eastern star. Uh, I can't think of any Demolayer or Rainbow Girls that I, I know of, but they might be out there. I don't know. We've got a big family.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's one of the reasons I always enjoy talking to you. you got those deep roots, same as my family, and a deep passion for history as well, and I know we've talked a bunch on that, so we connect on a lot of those levels, so it's always a pleasure to have you on and have those chats with you and learn a little bit more about your history as well. So, as we mentioned, you know, our lodges have these deep histories. We have these deep-rooted members that go into our community and really uh, further sow that history that we love and respect today. Now, Brother Robert Marshall, uh, if you wouldn't mind, you're going to share with us a few of those favorite stories that you've came across through the researcher, your lodge, and those uh, past members that have gone down in history. If you wouldn't mind, I'll go ahead and hand it over to you if you want to share with a few of those. Sure.
1: Uh, I've got a few names that usually come to mind when folks ask about uh, old members of the lodge that they might've heard of or uh, made an impact on the community or anything like that. And I'll start with a couple of the ones who I think have made uh, maybe not the most important impact, but at least the furthest reaching impact. I don't care where you are, where you're watching this video from uh, these first couple of guys, uh, did things that probably um, will be relevant to you one way or another. Uh, and the first is Charles Alderton. Charles Alderton was our past master in 1912. Uh, he was born and grew up in New York City, and then went to England where he studied medicine and pharmacy. Uh, after that, he made his way to Texas, And his first pharmacy was, I believe, in Galveston uh, before he relocated to Waco, was hired by a man named Wade Morrison, who was also a member of Waco Lodge. And one day there in 1885, uh, Charles Alderton was tinkering with a uh, tonic that he had been serving to guests uh, and came up with what he thought was the perfect formula 23 flavors that would get anybody coming into his pharmacy by the smell and then keep them there because of how good it tastes uh, now he had to come up with a name for it he actually started to sell it and it was called the waco so you you'd go to the local pharmacy here in waco in the downtown square and ask for the waco uh, at first but he knew that wasn't good enough he wanted it to be better than that so Uh, he was mentored into pharmacy by a man named Dr. Charles Pepper. And so he decided to call it Dr. Pepper. And now it's one of the uh, most well-known soft drinks out there. Interesting about Charles Alterman, he's the guy who invented, if you will, Dr. Pepper. And that is about it. Nobody knew much else about him until I started digging into him because of uh, the Masonic connection. Sure. Uh, the only picture of Dr. Charles Alderton is our past master photo. It's the only picture that Dr. Wow. Pepper has of him. That's it. Uh, personal life. There wasn't a whole lot out there. He was a private guy. He left Dr. Pepper almost immediately after he started to sell it because he wanted to focus on medicine. Uh, and there was literally nothing known about his personal life until about a year ago in our lodge archives, I found a questionnaire filled out by his widow telling different bits of his life and some information about him. So I was able to give that to the Dr. Pepper Museum to fill in some blanks for them. Uh, but I'd say probably uh, that's the furthest reaching impact a member of our lodge has had.
0: That's that's pretty epic right there. Now. If you don't mind, kind of derail right there. You mentioned at the very end you had a questionnaire from his widow. Is that common practice at your lodge?
1: I'm going to have to send you a copy. I don't think it was common practice, but uh, in 1946, uh, our lodge formed a committee to work on a... uh, centennial celebration. We were coming up on our hundred years having been chartered in 1852, okay. uh, and one of the guys on the centennial committee decided it would be a good idea to write a book. Uh, and so he sent out questionnaires to uh, brother masons who were members of the Lodge, widows, uh, just anybody with a link to the Lodge, so that uh, he could use the information he got from the questionnaires to help tell the story of the Lodge.
0: I actually really like that idea. Um, I guess doing it right after somebody passes away to a widow, you know, that'd be kind of an iffy area. I'm sure there's a respectful manner to do that. But even to your living past masters, I mean, a lot of lodges, especially mine, have guys on the rosters that I've never personally met mm-hmm. in life. So there's a lot of history that goes untold there, and that could be an extremely good way to uh, to compile that information as your lodge is done to get that information for their book. but. I like mm-hmm. that. That's that's a really good idea. There, I'm gonna have to try to implement that at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really helpful for me, and it was helpful for uh, our past master Roger Conger, who I've talked about before uh, on the previous episode, who did a lot of our historical research. Questionnaires are a good idea.
0: I I would totally agree. Uh, you know, one of the things, again, kind of derailing the conversation. One of the things we've been talking about lately, because we've really just kind of hit a, uh, a a brick wall in our research online and what we have, uh, you know, so far in lodge to go through that a lot of that information that we're looking for, I think is with the people. And I'm trying to get a full member list with addresses and everything so I can start yeah. scheduling some Saturday mornings, call these guys up and, Hey, would you mind if we just come chat with you for 30 minutes? You know, for, for multiple reasons for brotherly side, Hey, you know, we haven't seen you in a long time is there something we can do for you is there any way we can get you back to lodge can we help you with anything and also to sit there and have that you know that historical chat with them what do you remember from the lodge maybe audio tape that or something and just kind of get those uh those tidbits but i have a sneaky suspicion that a lot of these guys are sitting on some old photographs and stuff and that's just uh that's our next route to un- uncover these uh bits of history that we haven't found so far. And those questionnaires, Mm -hmm. I I think that'd be a great uh, source to implement within that process. I like that.
1: That's a good idea. I've started doing uh, taped interviews with some of our older members, and it's been really helpful.
0: Yeah. You know, I I tell them all the time is, you know, this is stuff you guys know, and you've had the conversation probably a hundred times before, before me and some of the other guys ever came around, but we've never heard that. And those stories... (laughs) Just kind of stop getting told and get forgot about, but uh yeah, you know, it's like every time I go to lodge there'll be chit chatting and a story'll come up, and i'm like oh, i've never heard that, <laughs> tell me more, so and, know, those, do- yeah, those are the information that we uh we need to preserve, and we need to keep going down so. Yeah, you know, within our our day and mean as we've talked before in our uh, preservation episode, you know, we have the ability for video and audio a lot more than they had in the past, and we need to utilize that and not just stick to our minute books because again, they tell you this much of the history. So,
1: what you do is you you sit down with them and you tell them, "All right, this is your chance to tell me how it was done in your day, so that you don't right. have to tell them that every meeting from <laughs> now on."
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. I love that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well moving on. What uh what other members do you have some interesting stories on? Uh,
1: sure. Uh let's see. I've got Lemon Sanger. Uh Lemon Sanger was a Jewish immigrant from Germany. Uh he and his brothers moved to Texas in the mid eighteen hundreds. Uh, and since they had been travelers, already traveling men, if you will, Um, They had established friendships and uh, traveling routes on their way here that they thought they could make use of, and so they did. They started stores, uh, small stores here in Texas at the time was the Wild West. Uh, Communities were pretty small and and hardly even growing. Uh, So uh, his first store was here in Central Texas, and he uh, actually slept on the dirt floor of the store behind his register, so nobody could steal his uh, merchandise or money uh, during wow. the night. Yeah. Uh, he grew the store until uh, it became the largest uh, retail store in the United States, and so the Sanger Brothers stores were huge. They were all over the place, uh, headquartered here in Waco, and some of the Uh, long-term lasting effects, were, uh, women Sanger, being Jewish, he uh, more or less uh, led the arrival of Judaism in Texas. Uh, So now there is quite a large number of uh, Jewish citizens in Texas, and Sanger kind of paved the way for that and uh, helped encourage them to move here. They were already undergoing persecution that, of course, became much more prominent 50-60 years later. Right. He also hired Herbert Marcus, uh, to work in retail for him. And Herbert Marcus went on to be a founder of Lehman Marcus. Um, and, uh, the Singer brothers were some of the first to hire women and African-American, uh, to work in what were otherwise non-traditional roles for those folks. So, uh, he, he has had a pretty major impact.
0: Wow, well good for him, Yeah, it sounds like he was a first of a lot of trends there, so that's that's awesome.
1: He certainly was uh we also have uh, Paul Tyson. If you guys out there are football fans, then you're a fan of Paul Tyson. You may not have heard of him. You've heard of some of his pupils like Newt Rockney and Pop Warner and some other famous football coaches. Paul was a member of Waco Lodge. Uh, He coached his almost his entire career at Waco High School, uh, which is interesting. Why would a high school coach have such a major impact on the sport of football? Well, it was the 19-teens all the way to the 1930s, and he invented the auction play. He came up with the idea of scouts sending coaches or people to your opponent's games before you played them to get intel. he developed uh, some new defensive schemes. Really, he really helped shape football as we know it today. You cannot turn on a football game without seeing the uh, uh, evidence of Paul Tyson. And his uh, genius touch for football definitely paid off during his career. In the 1920s, Waco High School football had probably uh, the most dominant era of football at any level in the sports history. They rarely lost a game and they rarely allowed a point. In 1921, I think it was, they scored something like 420 points to zero uh, throughout the year. Uh, Holy
0: cow. They
1: they were a ridiculously good uh, program.
0: Uh, Unfair. (laughs) It almost seems that way, yeah, that's uh, that's quite cited.
1: (laughs) Coach Tyson is an interesting guy. I do have his biography up on the website. Uh, his career ended in some controversy, uh, and it's it's a multi-layered issue. Uh, in Texas, when you start a program that uh, gets the community used to winning, if you have a couple of down years where you don't win anymore, then they're gonna start looking for reasons to get rid of you. Mm. Uh, we have a joke down here. Uh, the Uh, Holy Church of Texas football is, I mean, the Holy Church of Texas is the football field. Uh, So we take it very seriously down here, usually too seriously, and uh, it led to some unfortunate things for Coach Tyson, but uh, since his uh, death 60, 70 years ago, uh, the Waco community has done a few things to honor him, so he does have a positive memory here.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, It's it's always great to hear, because a lot of these guys we have on our lodges aren't famous just for being in our lodge aren't just you know a cool past master that's got a great stories, but you know as you're bringing up, they do have very uh influential um, you know spots within our town's history and our nation's history as a whole and for uh for the cities to recognize that and kind of bring that forth and honor that history as well is is always great it's great to see our our past brethren's uh, accomplishments promoted and really uh, carried down through the of time there. So that's wonderful, I'm extremely two, glad to hear that.
1: Two funny things about my research on Coach Tyson. Uh, the first is how I started it. I didn't realize he was a member of our lodge until my f- best friend, uh, Dave McMahon, the lodge member, mentioned it. He had seen Paul Tyson's name in our roles somewhere, and so uh, I looked it up and started digging into him and did my research on him, and uh have his story up on the website now. Recently, I was driving across West Texas on a completely unrelated matter, and I saw a sign for Santa Ana, Texas, uh, the town that I remembered Paul Tyson had grown up in. Paul Tyson's family had all been doctors, his dad was a well-to-do businessman in the area, uh, and I remembered that from doing my research on Coach Tyson. So I figured, well, uh, since I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and drive through the town. And I pulled up my GPS and searched for Tyson, hoping that since they were an important family when the place was being founded, that maybe there was a street name or uh, an old um, uh, warehouse building or something like that is what I was hoping to find. Instead, what I found was Tyson Pharmacy that popped right up, uh, an active business. I was like, well, interesting. So I pulled in and I go in and I asked the guy behind the counter. I was like, look, I'm doing some research on a man who grew up here a long time ago. His name was Paul Tyson. I was wondering if you know anything about him or if there are any stories here in town about him. And the guy said, sure, I know a couple things about him. He was my uncle.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Gold mine. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, so uh, Mr. Tyson is still running his pharmacy there in uh, Santa Ana and uh, was very helpful. He sat down with me for a while and we had a good time talking about uh, uncles. So uh, that was an interesting uh, point in my research. I don't usually run into uh, that close of connections with these old long dead members that I'm looking into.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, it was, it's a great thing that you did that. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't think that driving through town, you might see something and it spark a, a memory within your brain, but you just keep on driving. But mm-hmm. it's great to be able to stop, get out of the madness for a minute and say, you know what, let's go check that out. Cause in that mm-hmm. scenario, what's the worst thing they could have said is I have no idea. Well, and then you you move on. But because you took that opportunity, you scored a great day, made a new friendship, got information you didn't know, and furthered that connection within your your lodge's history and history in general. So that's awesome, brother. Good job on that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, sounds like it.
1: Uh, Here's one. Uh, Buck Buchanan. Uh, Buck Buchanan was a Waco police officer. He was one of the first Waco motorcycle cops in the 1920s. Uh, He was eventually hired by the FBI, John Edgar Hoover, who we have a couple of things from at our lodge. Uh, But uh, Brother Buchanan uh, became one of the G-men, the infamous G-men who were uh, focused on rounding up the um, prohibition era gangsters all over the United States that sized era of uh, your Al Capones and guys like that. Well, one of those guys was a man named uh, Alvin Harper. And uh, I think that was his name, Alvin Harper. And he was the uh, most wanted man in America, public enemy number one. And uh, Buck Buchanan had become the right-hand man of brother J. Edgar Hoover. So when they planned a... Um, uh, scheme to arrest the um, public enemy number one. They went, it was in New Orleans, I believe, and uh, the whole thing went exactly according to plan, the criminal came into the area uh, that they were hoping to arrest him, and then they all surrounded him, and J. Edgar Hoover and Waco Lodge member uh, Buck Buchanan uh, grabbed a hold of him and realized that nobody had brought handcuffs, they'd all forgotten their handcuffs. Oh no! So, so uh, our lodge member, but pulled his necktie off and tied the guy's hands together with his necktie, and that's how they arrested Public Enemy Number One, the only one who has who was ever taken alive. So, uh, kind of a funny story there. They don't know what happened to the necktie. Unfortunately, it's lost to history. But, oh,
0: that should be in a museum. Yeah, <laughs> it should. The necktie that brought the man down. That's
1: awesome. Uh, Now, And also uh, a few years later was sent by the FBI um, after Pearl Harbor was bombed to investigate the scene and look into uh, ways to plan prevention. Uh, And some of that stuff is is still in place on our uh, far east and far west cities for the United States.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You said he was um, what person in the FBI?
1: Well, they called him the uh, G-men, which I think is awesome uh, for Freemasons. Indeed. We're we're kind of G-men too, Uh, but uh, uh, I don't know. He he was a special agent, I think is the technical term.
0: Okay, wonderful. What they called him. Any relation to Biff Buchanan? I don't know. (laughs) Horrible joke. I had to. <laughs> Opposite side of the law, deep in the future, but you know. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, brothers out there, it's one more reason to wear a tie to Lodge because you just never know, right?
1: That's right. Those can come in handy. Indeed.
0: Well, that's awesome. Great
1: story. I think singularly, the most interesting man uh, in our Lodge's history, just on a looking at a guy's life beginning to end is a man named Sherwood Owens. He was a doctor uh, who uh, originally served as a medic. And he served as a medic in the Mexican-American War, uh, in the Civil War, and in the Crimean War. The interesting thing about that, all three wars, he was fighting under a different country's flag. So uh, perhaps the only uh, medic to ever serve under three different flags. He was with the British in the Crimean War. Uh, and, of course, U.S. and Confederacy and the other wars, uh, but interesting there. So after that, he had served in all three of those. Actually, I'll back up. Before that, he was also an 1849 gold miner. He left, went to California, and uh, had he actually owned a gold mine in California. So he managed to find time for that in between all the uh, going to war.
0: Uh, Uh, Gold mining was a a war of all its own. That guy sure had a a passion for the adrenaline back then.
1: He did, and uh, so after the Civil War, uh, he decided to uh, calm down a little bit and uh, came to Waco, um, made a home, got married, and settled into what was supposed to be a relatively calm life. Uh, One evening there in the 1860s, 1870s, He uh, uh, treated a man named Will Posey, more well-known as Wild Bill Posey, uh, for undisclosed injuries. Uh, But uh, the end result was that Bill Posey never paid Dr. Owens for uh, the medical treatment. So Dr. Owens took Posey to court. The judge happened to also be a member of our lodge. So uh, the judge very quickly settled in favor of Dr. Owens. Uh, and the settle the, the decision was that Wild Bill Posey had to pay Dr. Owens in the form of his land, uh, which was a major deal here in Texas in the 1800s. The land was basically all you owned. That's all you had. Sure. Uh, and uh, so he was being forced to give over his land. And about three months later, Wild Bill Posey with his, uh, at that time, famous gang of outlaws, robbed a bank and were leaving town, uh, you know, running out of town from the law, uh, and stopped by Dr. Owens' ranch house with the purpose being to kill Dr. Owens. Now remember, this was a guy who had fought in three wars and was an 1849 gold miner. So what happened was two of Posey's outlaws were killed. Uh, One was injured and the rest ran, including Bill Posey, Dr. Owens, was unharmed entirely, so the grizzly old veteran uh, fended off uh, a whole gang of outlaws at his ranch house, uh, <laughs> and uh, what's more is yeah, also at the time, the governor of Texas, Richard Koch, was a member of Waco Lodge, so uh, Dr. Owens reached out to the governor and said, hey, this, this Wild Bill Posey guy tried to kill me. I want you to get rid of him, and so they raised the ransom. And not long thereafter, a group of Native Americans killed Wild Bill Posey to claim the ransom. So, wow. Uh, yep, yeah, you didn't mess with Dr. Owens.
0: Jeez. well there is uh, there is no shortage of a pardon me, no shortage of amazing history in Waco. That's for sure. The, the stories you've got to tell, man, I, I could listen to them all day. Now, that fellow you're talking about there, was he a past master of your lodge?
1: He sure was. Sherwood Owens was the past master. That's right.
0: So that's where the mm-hmm. attitude came from. That it, it helps. It helps. <laughs> you, you have to deal with the uh, the old guys in the
1: north all the time. You get used to being able to uh, defend yourself.
0: Indeed. Well, I mean, you, you you talk about the the land back then and it being so important. I mean, it's true, especially in a uh, you know that part of the country. You, you go back even farther. I mean, the land at, at one point gave you your writing votes, kind of your, your rights as mm-hmm. a, as an individual within this nation. So yeah, I mean, land is a big deal. and When someone tries to threaten that from you, that's, that's kind of a life or death scenario in a lot of places. So mm-hmm. yep. I understand the, the, the fight behind that, but that, that is amazing. It's so a gold mining and three different wars, huh?
1: Yep. That's right. He also uh, another interesting episode for him, uh, there was a major blizzard here in central Texas in the late 1800s, which that just doesn't happen. I've literally seen snow here twice in my entire life, and it was definitely not a blizzard.
0: Well, uh, say, you say snow in Texas and my eyes perk up, huh?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there was an actual blizzard and a really bad winter. Uh, one of these blizzards that came through that year uh, was so bad that Dr. Owen's son – was frozen into his saddle because it just instantly became that cold. And Holy cow. Uh, yeah, uh, and he would have died, but the horse was smart enough that the horse uh, carried the kid to the neighbor's house, and they used bricks from their fireplace that they kept running in and getting from the house to thaw him out of the saddle and bring him inside. Pretty crazy. Wow. Damn. The wild was a heck of a place to live. It's romanticized today in books and film, but really it was, it was a pretty terrible place to live. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> the elements and everything else you got to deal with. I mean, yeah, it's it was raw terrain. That is frozen to the saddle. Wow. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that one every day.
1: No, sir.
0: Uh, we had, uh, Pet, Pat
1: Neff and Sol Ross. Both of those guys were members of Waco Lodge. Both of them were governors of Texas and, Uh, fairly famous for a number of reasons. We had this Rufus Burroughs Baptist preacher uh, who uh, was studying, uh, he was at seminary becoming a preacher in I think Alabama in the 1830s and uh, wrote on his dorm the day he graduated, wrote it on his dorm wall above his bed, I consecrate my life to Texas. Uh, Now (laughs) We're not really sure why, but he did. And so he came to Texas and made his life goal uh, uh, serving Texans as a preacher and educator. And so he was the major leader of Baylor University, and president there for uh, almost 50 years, and brought it to Waco. And he was a chaplain in Waco Lodge for 46 years, uh, which is unfathomable. My fun story about... Burleson is that uh, he baptized Sam Houston, and uh, when he did, uh, I don't know if everybody out there would know, Texans and Tennesseans would be quick to tell you, Sam Houston was uh, a great leader, but also well known for uh, licentious and vicious habits,
0: and now I don't want to
1: defame the name of a brother, uh, but early in his life he was known to get a little rowdy and uh, so when he was baptized by Rufus Burleson, and uh, Brother Burleson dumped him into the pond out in the country, when he lifted Sam Houston out of the water, he said, Your sins are now washed away. And Sam Houston announced very loudly, God saved the fishes. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that's awesome. I've always enjoyed that story. There is a painting of that baptism up on the website. Uh, you can see that story. Uh, Rufus Burleson uh, baptized and met with a lot of interesting characters like that. So he's always a, a favorite one of mine at the lodge to talk about. Um, and uh, let's see, Here on my list, I've got one more of our lodge, a George E. Rath, the father of Central Texas. He was an Austrian immigrant in the 1830s who spoke seven languages, uh, came to Texas as a uh, salt, um, he, he, he sold salt, and uh, what didn't have much to his name was pretty poor, uh, but started work as a surveyor, land surveyor, and that's where George Erath became famous. You have an Erath County in Texas, there's a statue of him in front of the Texas Ranger Museum. He fought the famous Battle of San Jacinto that won Texas independence. Um, he laid out the maps for most of the central Texas cities and counties. Uh, interesting guy, I think, uh, for a lot of reasons. And you got him up on the website. He's he's worth reading about, old George E. Rath. He, although I will tell you, he's he's probably the ugliest human who ever lived. Uh, so there's your warning out there if anybody goes to George E. Rath's Page on the side, prepare yourself for pure unadulterated
0: ugly because right? that 's what he is we we 've got a few of the same within our our past master ranks i 've pulled a few pictures before, <laughs> just just had to stare at it. you know, no offense to the past brother, but you know right maybe it's the camera who knows <laughs> uh,
1: and, and like I said george Erath's statue is in front of the Texas Ranger Museum now, uh, and I always tell folks who visit the area and go there the sculptor. Very kind.
0: <laughs> they, just, they paid him a little extra.
1: I think if the sculptor had made it look like Erath's photos, there probably would still be protests to try okay. to have the statue removed from the oh, city.
0: I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a huge job, though. That's that's a very important uh, job to actually lay out the maps for a town back in those days. Uh, you Boy. know how they were able to do that with the uh, limited capabilities back then, and. Be fairly precise, um, still amazes me to this day, but that's, that's huge.
1: They still have some of Erath's surveying tools that he used to do exactly that there at the Texas Ranger Museum on display. Uh, he was a Texas Ranger, uh, and he was also very close to the Native Americans. He already spoke seven languages when he got here, so he was... Uh, He had developed a skill for learning languages, so he learned very quickly a couple of the native languages, and that was another reason he became very valuable for uh, the citizens of Texas as a negotiator and and things like that. He also named Waco after the Waco Indians.
0: Is that right? Yep,
1: that's right. They were originally going to call it Lamar Team after Mirabu Lamar, a mason in Texas who started the public education system here, but. Uh, George Erath thought it was strange for two reasons. He thought Team for three reasons, he thought Team sounded bad, he thought Mary B. Lamar was not uh, a very fun guy to hang out with, <laughs> and uh, uh, third, uh, he thought it would be more appropriate to name the city after the people uh, who had originally lived there, the Native Americans living in the area, so that's what he did.
0: That's wonderful. That is That is a lot of information and some wonderful history. Brother, I want to thank you so much for, for bringing that to the show today and for um, getting with us early in the morning as you have. I know you still got plans today, so it's an extreme pleasure that you take time out of your day to come on and share this history with us and the rest of the brethren out there watching. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to hand it over. Do you have any uh, final thoughts or any stories you'd like to share with us?
1: Uh, no, I think that about covers it on stories. Uh, as far as final thoughts, I want to thank you for what you're doing with historical White. Uh, I did receive my historical light pen and I thought the packaging was uh, easily the best packaging on anything I have ever purchased online so uh, very impressed I like what you're doing and I hope to see see it keep going for a long time
0: well thank you brother I, I do extremely appreciate that I'm, I'm not one of those that guys that can just you know throw a pen in a in an envelope and send it on its way my wife you know always say I'm a little anal with that and go a little overboard but To me, I'd rather, you know, spend an extra couple bucks and make it a uh, memorable item than to just, you know, send it with no care. It's just not my style. So, very glad that you uh, enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, for all the rest of you, I'll throw up some links as well. But if you'd like to get one of those pins he speaks of, it is on our website, historicallight.com in the shop section. Uh, So, we'd uh, love to be able to get one of those mailed out to you. Uh, Brother Robert, thank you again so much for coming on. Before we do wrap up, I want to give you a chance here to Kind of give a little shout out on your website because I know a lot of these guys on here are listed on your website and have stories on there in detail It's a virtual museum. I'm in love with it So, uh, please if you wouldn't mind to share that website with the viewers and kind of how they can get connected with you
1: Sure, the website is www.wacomasonic.org and uh, navigation on the website isn't too terrible. There's a menu button on the top left that should take you anywhere you'd like to go. Uh, If you're wanting to look at history, you'll just add a slash history to the end of that URL. Uh, If you want to look at past masters, slash past dash masters, uh, charter members, slash charter. uh, And if you're looking for anything else in particular, feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook uh, or email. You can contact me through the website as well i'd be more than happy to help anybody navigate not just our website but any other masonic history they're trying to dig into
0: wonderful and yeah i would encourage you guys to definitely uh, if you have any questions reach out to brother marshall he is a uh, a plethora of information and uh deeply has a passion in the history and the roots of our craft in general so don't be shy reach out there's questions that will be answered and amazement to happen so brother thank you again so much we're extremely glad to have you on the show again it's always a pleasure and hopefully to have you on another time here in the future all right i look forward to it all right brother you take care thanks so much Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview just as much as I did. I want to thank uh, Brother Marshall once again for coming on the show a second time and sharing a little bit more of uh, his lodge's history with all of us here on Historical Light. Uh, Brother Marshall, like I've said before, is one of those guys who's got such a deep connection and passion for uh, not just Masonic history, but history in general. And uh, it's always great to have, you know, the opportunity to sit down and have those chats with them. Um, So thank you, brother. We really, really appreciate you coming back on the show to share that with us. Now, we'll continue the conversation for this episode over on our Facebook group. That's the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. If you're not a member there, definitely go click on that right now. Click join and we'll get you in there so you can... uh, get in on that conversation, plus all the other great conversations going on on a daily basis. there. Uh, it's a growing group. I've uh, got a great group of guys there bringing a lot of history from their lodges around the world and all kinds of Masonic history. So if you're into that, definitely go click join and get in on that. We'd love to have you within the group. Um, moving on from that though, we do try to end all of our episodes with a little segment uh, where we answer the question of why did you join Freemasonry? Um, we'd like to feature you in one of those segments so if you wouldn't mind to take a short video of yourself answering the question why did you join Freemasonry or the affiliate bodies like I always say we haven't got anything from the affiliate bodies yet so I really hope to get a couple of those videos in you know Eastern Star youth groups what have you send your videos in of why did you join your Masonic group and uh, you know even more importantly why did you stay you know, let's, let's answer those questions and, uh, the people on the fence out there that, you know, are thinking about joining, but just trying to find that connection, that connection that, you know, worked for you, is going to work for someone else too. So send your video in and we'd love to hear from you, but let's jump over and see, uh, why this brother decided to join Freemasonry.
1: The best part of being a Mason for me is the, um, Outside of the Brotherhood,
0: uh, meeting new people that I traditionally would have never met before um, from all over, um, anywhere in the world. Um, if I want to go travel, there's a lodge in Europe, Italy, you know, so primarily um, just the established uh, connections. It's a really great thing to be able to, um, for me as well, to help the local communities because um, I'm always trying to uh, better myself as well as the local communities and what better way to do that than give your time and being a Mason allows you to do a lot of that. All right, well brother, thank you again for sending in that video and I hope the rest of you consider uh, taking a short video and sending yours in as well and you might just be featured on a future episode of historical light. So send in those videos, and we'll see you all over at our Facebook group. Again, that's the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. And uh, we'll chat there until next time when we continue our quest for historical light. Take care.